Um, nearing the sweet end. I wouldn't say it's a bitter end at all. The last thing we saw at the bottom of the um, bottom of the page, a nice hay. Therby is about to, he's describing Shtus de Kedusha. And we're going to see uh, a very clear expression of something Das, which is what Shtus de Kedusha is, coming to a level of connection to a Kaddish Baruch Hu that's super rational. Like the connection of a parent to a child, a child to a parent, and other things we talked about, right? Said, be ultimately a Kaddish Baruch is beyond our ability to understand. So if we really want to connect to the Ebishter, we have to transcend Das. So if we don't transcend Das, then that's not the Ebishter. Because he's not there. Right? He doesn't fit into that box. That doesn't mean that once we have a connection beyond Das, we can't bring it into our conscious reality, which is what our Avedah is all about. But we have to realize that we're connecting to something beyond intellect. So whatever our intellectual appreciation of the Ebishter is, we have to understand that he's not that. He's bigger than that, because he doesn't fit into that box. Okay. And that's what that's when we said, Leis Machshav Atvisa Bechlau, so one, two, three, four, five, six lines up. Right? That which is not something that can be defined within the context of comprehension, it can't be understood in by Zechel. Right? We brought a number of Mashalim. Right? Love. So again, love can be understood in Zechel once you've experienced it. Right? Once you've experienced love, so then you can talk about it with someone. Right? That's not a problem. But you can't come to an appreciation of love through intellect. You can only come to an appreciation of love through experiencing that emotion. Right? Explain it to someone who never experienced it doesn't work. <laughs> okay. Like, explain the color orange to someone who's never seen. Can't do it. You can discuss different shades of orange with someone once the two of you have seen orange. Right? Two designers discussing you know, new fashion will definitely come up with all sorts of amazing colors that, you know, they'll find a shade of purple or a shade of orange that no one really came up with for, and it'll be a big hit. Okay, and they can discuss that amongst themselves if they do, in order not to give away the trade secrets, right? But the two Italians can sit there in Milan and have a very serious and animated conversation about color. Fine, why? Well, they both experienced color with their eyes, but if they haven't experienced color with their eyes, there's nothing to talk about because color isn't an idea. <laughs> color is a visual experience. Okay. So there's all sorts of examples for such things. The Eibishter. When is it that we can discuss the Eibishter intellectually? Once we have some appreciation on some deeper level of his existence. That doesn't mean we, we can read a book. right? We could read a book about him. Right? But I mean, to truly appreciate what we're talking about, we have to have some super rational connection to it in order to bring that down into intellect. Otherwise, what am I talking about? I'm just talking about some concept that has no reality for me. Right? Like two blind people discussing color. They heard other people discussing color. If a blind person read a book about color, what would his understanding of that book be? He could understand intellectually what's written on the page. But you have no appreciation of it truly, like you and I would, because we would we would really we we understand what color is, and there's certain lines in the book we go, wow, 
it's really interesting what he just said about the difference of colors and how they affect people's emotions, etc. Because we've experienced that. The blind person, he could get the intellectual information, he could pass the test, right? You could, you could give him this information and tell him he has, to, he has to memorize it, and he'd memorize it, and you give him a test, and he might do as well as you and I on the test, because he's very bright. But he wouldn't have a clue what he's reading. That would be completely conceptual. Okay. I mean, he'd miss the real point. So to a bell, of course. Ultimately, we have to get to a point das. Now we have to bring it into Das. So we're sitting and learning Hasidus. What is that? That's all Das. But it's all about taking something das and bringing it into Das. So I was going to explain that in a very clear way. We saw this, but we'll just we'll start from there. Relative to a Kaddish Baruch who's beyond intellect, beyond understanding, Beyond knowledge, and no thought can comprehend him. He doesn't fit into that box. We're all like idiots relative to him. What does David Melech say? David Melech was not an idiot. David Melech was an extremely intelligent person. Right? And yet, what does he say relative to Kadosh Baruch? Ani bear. Bear is like a boor. Right? I'm a boor. And I don't know. Bahamas Aisimach, like an animal I am with you. Vani Tamidimach, and I'm always with you. And of course, that last sentence seems to contradict everything else he said. What do you mean I'm always with you? If I'm such a boor and a, and a behemoth, so how can I possibly always be with you? You think it'd be the exact, the exact opposite. I'm not with you because I'm a boor and a behemoth. And yet David Amalek says, Ani Tamidimach at the end. Now, this is David Amalek talking. Right? Mainly you and I say something like this. Okay, we say that either we'll be self-deprecating in a true way, not a true way, whatever. This is David Amalek. Okay, so what does he mean? Kloimar. The fact that I'm a boor and a behemoth, I need to meet him Dafka, because of that, I'm with you. Why? In order, now, now here, interesting enough, the Rebbe actually says Atzmus, which is what we assumed we were talking about because we're talking about a case of Lesmach, a reality of Lesmach Shovatis of Bechla. So, as we talked about yesterday, that should theoretically be Atzmus, right? Because that is the level about which we say Lesmach Shovatis of Because again, Legavi Mamale, we should have a positive understanding of Or Mamale. We should be able to talk about the four worlds very clearly and explain the differences between them, right? Sevev. Our hasog is what's called the hasog shlilis. We know what it isn't, but we do spend a lot of time discussing seivev. Right? My marim shleimim about different levels in in seivev. All over. Iron base. It's all seivev. There's kimat nothing about about uh, it's 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 keser and up. We're talking about levels of elokus that are you know for us just completely conceptual. Right? Very hard to even, uh, it's hard to even find a muscle for the levels of eloquence the Rebbe Shab describes in Iron Base because it, it, there's just nothing to hold on to. You know, we mentioned it a couple of times here, I remember learning, was Dafka Tavshin Iron Base. So Tavshin Iron Base, I wasn't teaching Chassidus in the morning. So Rabbi Mas and I were learning together in the morning before davening, and we were learning Iron Base. And there was one point where we were learning and we, we were discussing a certain, the Rebbe was discussing a certain idea. And we both simultaneously just burst out laughing. Why were we both laughing? I said, why are you laughing? He said, why are you laughing? Well, because I haven't got a clue what we're talking about. <laughs> this is just so move shot. So move shot is conceptual. You know, it's, it's, it's stripped of any concrete 
reality. Lavshit at the behemoth to skin the animal, take the animal, the skin off the animal. Lavshot at the bugadim, we're going to take off your clothes. It's mufshat, completely lacking any. Find me a mushal in, in, in anything that I can help it to, to, to explain this. So it's just like, where are we exactly? What, what are we talking about? I mean, we know there's a, we could figure out the math of it, but it was just, okay. So we would, we'd talk about that. It's there, nine base. Very hard. I mean, it's just, it's just, oh, what is, what is the Rebbe exactly describing here? Okay. So save it, we can talk about Atzmus. And here the Rebbe says Atzmus. So you want to touch Atzmus? It's by nullifying a person's will in a way that's completely beyond Tam Vadas. And the Rebbe's going to explain what that is. Therefore, it's called shtus. Not shtus because it's stupid. Shtus because it's so far beyond intellect. It's the expression of something so much deeper, which is what, it, it, before, we, before we go further, we're going to see what's a simple example of something beyond Tam Vadas. It's called Navua. What does Navua allow you and I access to? Not that we're Naveen. Right? You and I aren't Naveem, okay, but you and I are privy to information given to Naveem. What's that information? That's obviously information that m- much of it, right, that human seichel couldn't come to without Navua, because if human seichel could come to all of that information, what do I need Navua for? Let me just figure it out. Sooner or later, I'll figure it out. We figured these things out. It was not Navua how to do this, right? Because sooner or later, I mean, it's pretty astounding that we, you know, we were, you know, pushing carts on wooden wheels not that long ago, and now we have this. Slowly but surely, we just, you know, kept learning a little more, a little more, a little more, a little more, and then there would be some interesting breakthrough, and, and you end up with this, which is science fiction when I grew up. Okay, amazing. We didn't need Navua for this. Humans, figure it out. It's good for us, bad for us. The jury's out, right? Whether or not these things are good for us or bad for us, right? Okay, but they're still astounding. You don't need Navua for that. Why? You and intellect can figure this out. What do you need Navua for? That you need Navua for, right? Shabbos, that you need Navua for. Pick the mitzvahs. There are, interesting enough, some mitzvahs that, even though they're an expression of Navua, they resonate in Seichel completely and totally, called the Mishpat. Don't steal, okay? But not stealing as a result of a Navur is completely different than not stealing as a result of human intellect coming to the realization that stealing is not a good idea for you know, the main maintenance of basic social order. Because I will always be able to figure out intellectually, rationally, why in a particular situation it's reasonable for me to steal. Robin Hood is a hero in Western culture. Robin Hood is Stamaganov, according to God's law. Human intellect understands completely that they're bad guys. Robin Hood is a good guy. Stealing from the bad guys is okay. Show me in Torah where you're allowed to steal from a bad guy. You're not allowed to steal from bad guys. You're allowed to take back what's yours. That you're allowed to do. That wasn't what Robin Hood was doing. But he's a great guy. As a matter of fact, I was actually twice in Nottingham, but the first time I was in Nottingham, it was only for an evening, and, and in the early, early in the morning, I was driven to the train station to take, get a train back to Manchester, the center of all life, and, 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 and the shaliach took me 
three blocks out of our way, so I should see the statue of Robin Hood right next to Nottingham Forest. <laughs> okay, cool. A little statue of Robin, you know, most famous Ganef in the world. Mm-hmm. He's a Ganef. Human intellect understands completely and totally how Robin Hood is a good guy. Al Pitar, go ask a rob if Robin Hood's allowed to do what he can do. So even that is a difference. And even deeper, and this is explained in Chassidus in many, many places, even the Mishpat, that level that we understand, the level of understanding that we have, no one, if they think about it seriously, will think that my understanding, my limited, finite understanding as to why murder is wrong is not God's reason why murder is wrong. Because God's intellect is infinite. What does infinite seichel say about murder? I don't know. <laughs> I don't have infinite seichel. I know what finite seichel says about murder. So I, that that infinite expression of God's will and God's well, God, well, that expression of God's infinite will and infinite seichel, don't murder. That makes perfect sense in my seichel. But it would be rather silly of me to think that the reason that I say don't murder is the same reason God says don't murder. Just like it would be unreasonable to assume that the four-year-old's understanding of that which his parent told him to do is the same as the parent's understanding of what they told him to do. right? But that's two levels of finite intellect. But he's four and they're 35, and so you would assume their 35-year-old intellect will understand the ramifications of this negative behavior much more in a much more sophisticated way than him. So when they tell him, don't do this, he has a certain understanding of it. He won't do it. He's old enough to know that. But is what he understands the same as what they understand? Oh, man, I would certainly hope not. What happened to them? Their cycle's the same as a four-year-old? Ask him why. He'll explain it to you in this cute little four-year-old way. And some of it will make perfect sense to the 35-year-old. And the, it's, okay, but there's more in the 35-year-old cycle. So that's just people. Allah has come of a comma, finite to infinite. There's no comparison. So when the Abish says, don't steal, why not? Kach. The reason you and I don't steal isn't because it makes sense. It's because the Abish said not to. And the Mishpat is as much a chayk as shatness. And on a certain level, shatness is as much a Mishpat as don't steal. Why? Because hopefully it makes perfect sense to you intellectually to, un- to, to accept certain edicts of God that you don't understand. Makes perfect sense intellectually that God could tell us things that our intellect doesn't understand and we do them anyway. That's perfectly reasonable to us. <laughs> okay, I mean, the chayik is also a mishpat on a certain level. Once you, once you have an appreciation of God, he's going to tell me to do things that I don't get. Of course, why? Why, why is that something that I find un- difficult to understand? Don't wear wool and linen together. Okay, I got it. Do you understand why? No. Does it make sense to listen? Of course it makes sense to listen. He knows better. Why would I think I know better than him? He created wool and he created linen. And so why in the world would I think I should wear them if he said not to? That makes sense, no? I mean, based on our understanding of reality, it makes perfect sense. I just don't know the why of it. Why not steal? I can explain to you why you shouldn't steal. I'll be human in form. But why doesn't the Jew steal? Because God said no. 
And, according, and ultimately a non-Jew. Why shouldn't a non-Jew steal? God said don't. That is the bottom line, even though there is a why in our lexicon. But our why is not his why. Who says our why is his why? What do we know? Because he's completely and totally beyond intellect. Oh, so in order to touch him in any way, shape, or form, I have to get beyond intellect. Otherwise, I'm just touching myself. What's a clear expression of that? So Nevu and the Rebbe is going to discuss. Vizel Gamkein, this is also something very interesting about Nevuah. Masha Novi, that which the prophet, Nikwa B'Shem Meshuggah, he's called a Meshuggah. Kamesh Yukosuv, Maduaba Meshuggah Zeh. This is when the Bnei Navim came to Elisha. I think they were sent by Yehu to Elisha. So, so uh, 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 right, and and so he, he, he says, Why did this Meshuga come? Why is he a Meshuga? Because what's a Novi? Well, what's a Meshuga? Meshuga is someone who doesn't act rationally. Well, that's a Novi. Doesn't act rationally. He's not acting based on rational information. He's acting based on some super-rational information that he received in his Nevoah. And what actually happens to the Navi at the time of Nevoah? So that's what I was going to explain. Dine, Be'esis Galus and Nevoah, at the time of the revelation of Nevoah, when a Navi is in the midst of Nevoah, you're talking about Yeshayahu, Yermiahu, Yechezkel, right? The great, great Navim, not Meshach. What we're about to describe does not describe the Nevoah of Meshach Rabbeinu, but it describes everybody else. That word, hafshata, to throw off. He has to throw off physicality. Vahainu. What does that mean? He has to completely rid himself of his own seichel and his own midas. Which you and I would, you know, understand as any sense of self. If I'm going to be a kli for a Kaddish Baruch's information, I better get rid of me. Because if I'm in the way, I don't, I don't want... You and I, who are talking to that Navi after he has the Navua, we don't want it colored by his perception. We want what God said, straight, without his coloring it. So what has to get out, what has to move? He has to move. His intellect has to move. Because after all, if his intellect is, is so powerfully involved in this experience, were the experience to be counterintuitive, he might not be able to relate to it. God says purple's green. Well, if my intellect's there, I can't relate to it. If my intellect's not there, so purple's green, what do I care? <laughs> oh, now I'm going to have to bring that back down into intellect. Okay, that might be hard. And you see the, the most Navim had a very hard time doing that. I'm sure you've all learned Navi. Something akin to poetry as opposed to prose. Very hard to understand. They have a very hard time bringing the experience down into words that you and I can understand like you would have a hard time bringing into words an, uh, uh, an idea that you, you have some connection to, but you have a hard, you don't fully understand it, so you can't really express it. You, you've got it, it's in you somewhere, but you're really having a hard time expressing it to someone else, or a feeling. Well, I just, I don't know. You know what it is, but very hard to bring it down. Okay, the, 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 the Navim had a very hard time bringing it down. They didn't see it as clearly as Mesha. Right? The, the words in the Zayar are also Chazal, right? in Midrashim. Espeklaria Meira as opposed to Espeklaria Sheina Meira. Maish Rabbeinu saw with the clear-looking glass, whereas the other Nevi'im saw with the unclear-looking glass, like seeing something in a mirror where the mirror is cloudy. They could see it, but they, oh, what is it exactly? 
Whereas Moshe Rabbeinu saw elokus, like like you and I see red coffee cups with words on the other side that we never knew about. <laughs> Moshe knew about them. To get rid of his seichel and his midas, because he's now going to be a conduit for God's seichel. Completely beyond his own rational experience of self. So now, what used to happen at the time of Nevoah? A number of amazing things. One of the things that happened, most Navim experienced Nevoah naked. They would throw off their clothes and fall on the ground and shake in something akin to what you might call a fit. Why? There was no self. There was no control of self. They were in a different place. Oh, why they have to throw off their clothes? Where did clothes come from? What are clothes an expression of? Sense of self. We had no clothes in Ganeid. As soon as we developed a sense of self, what's the first thing the Epshter gave us? Clothes. Now there's a notion of tsniut, modesty, embarrassment. Embarrassment might be said in another way, I'm self-conscious. Oh, well, exactly what that means, I'm conscious of self. That's good. I mean, we're supposed to be conscious of self to a certain degree and, you know, wear clothes and have a certain level of modesty, etc., etc. Okay. Right. Can't pretend we're in, we're in Gan Eden. There's all sorts of people who pretend that, right? It's like pretending that men and women can be platonic friends. Right. Women can. Men can't. Because it's just not how men are wired. Okay. That's why, naturally, interestingly enough, men can have more than one wife. They're wired that way. They could handle that. I mean, we understand. We, you know, we made a gazera that we don't do that. I understand that, right? But, 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 you know, I'll pee Torah, right? And I'll pee all sorts of interesting cultures. Right? Men can have more than one wife. Why? They can be wired that way. Women aren't wired that way. This whole revolution, devolution that's happening in the world, right? I mean, it's not new, right? It's completely destructive to women as opposed to men. Men have no problem with such behavior. They're wired that way. Women, in the throes of intimacy, emit a hormone that attaches them extremely powerfully to the person they're with. Men don't. That's why women are shy to one. Men aren't. Men have a hard enough time with one. But, meaning, making the relationship. But they're not wired that way. We are not wired that way. It's not the way men work. I mean, women work differently. Okay. So the men would throw off their clothes. The 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 vim the vim would throw off their clothes because the clothes are an expression of self. That's where they came from. 
וזהו גם כן, הנה נפשות עשו לבושים, בייס הנבוא, כמו שכוסו בשול, לקצץ בשול, ויפשט גם הוא אספגודה וייסנבה. He also took off his clothes and experienced נבואה. The לבושים, where the garments come from, הם באים מצד חטא עץ הדס. From the, from Gan Eden. The קדם החט, before the חט, כסיב, what does it say? ויהיו שניהם ערומים, ולא יהיו בשושו. They weren't embarrassed. They had no sense of self. Which is, of course, the whole problem in Ghana. How in the world did they do the Avera if they have no sense of self? Okay, that, that's exactly the problem in, in understanding what they did. Meaning it's a, you know, putting the cart before the horse. They, they developed the sense of self as a result of the hate. But isn't the, doesn't hate come from sense of self? So how did they possibly do it? Okay, all sorts of different... You know, everybody who's anybody in the history of Jewish learning has tried to understand that. Okay. But what happened afterwards? What did they become aware of? They became aware of a reality that isn't elokus in a revealed way. Hmm? That isn't elokus, isn't godliness in a revealed way. There's a reality that isn't kulay toiv. So they became aware of that, became part of their existence, which is what we experience. We don't, don't only experience taif, we also experience, matter of fact, not only do we experience it, the only reason there's an existence of raw is because of us. God doesn't make raw. Humans do acts that are raw. What does that mean? The human is the only creature in all of reality that can do something against the will of God, which is called raw. Right? What's raw? Not what the, you know, professor of morality talks about. Raw is what God doesn't want. Now, you say, what do you mean God doesn't want it? God, how can it possibly be if God doesn't want it? Oh, so fine. So that's, all sorts of people get stuck in that mess and therefore they say, okay, so every Aveira also must be something God wants because it couldn't possibly exist if God doesn't want it. But God said he doesn't want it. So don't be smarter than him. God said, don't eat pork. Okay, fine. So for a Jew to eat pork is raw. It's against the will of God. But wait a minute. How can I possibly do something against the will of God? By definition, God, it, it's, it's God's energy that's giving me the, the ability to eat the pork. So isn't it God, it's God's will that I can eat pork? Well, read the Torah. God said, don't eat pork. So why are you telling me that's what he wants? He told you that isn't. That's what he doesn't want. Okay. So then how can I do it? Well, because... The Kaddish Baruch created the world in such a way that you and I can do something against his will. That's what the world's all about. But that doesn't mean that he wants you to do it. He wants you not to do it. He created a reality where the possibility of doing that exists. For whom? Only for us. Lions can't possibly do something against the will of God. We want the antelope to run away. Right? We want the antelope to win when we watch the lion chase the antelope in the National Geographic Special. We're all on the, I hope we're all on the side of the antelope, right? Because I think we identify with the antelope more than we identify with the cheetah. Right? Okay. So the antelope is running. They're really fast, those antelope, but those cheetahs are even faster. And he's catching up and catching up and catching up, and he gives them a zets with his paw. And the, they must be very strong because the, the, the legs of the antelope go out from under him, and he hits the ground, and he gets up. The cheetah's about a mile past by the time the antelope falls down because the cheetah's going so fast. The cheetah stops, turns around, the antelope gets, <coughs> starts running away. <coughs> but we all know the end. The antelope ends up, you know, pretty limp under a tree. 
It's lunch. Isn't that evil? 25 guys out in Jeeps with super-powered rifles wiping out all the antelope on the, on the plains. That's evil. <laughs> Animals don't do that. A bunch of lions get together and say, ah, let's go wipe out the antelope. What are they, nuts? That's lunch next week. They're not stupid. Well, they kill one, they eat it for a week, and then they go fight it. <laughs> and, and evidently, I don't know, have you ever been to Kruger, the, you know, those places? You've never been? Oh, come on, Ellie. You gotta go. You gotta go. Right? I mean, you live down there. It's supposed to, everybody's been there says it's just, it's Pashut Niflaota Boreb, you know, the likes of which you don't see anywhere else in the world. But they all say, anybody's ever been there, say, there's a bunch of lions sitting there. I mean, they're not like lions in a safari, you know. They're just there, and you're in a jeep, and they're over there, and don't worry, there's guys with guns in the jeep, so that they're, you know, they're not going to eat you, the lions. But... They couldn't care less if they just ate lunch. They're just the most chill. They're just watching you. They couldn't care less. If they haven't eaten for a week, then you're a potential lunch. They're not going to get you because you're in the Jeep and you've got the guns and all. But, but, I mean, if they could, they would. Why not? I mean, they're hungry. It's not called evil. It's just, you know, you're there and you're soft and chewy. And so, why not? They, you don't look like what they usually eat, but by now they must be useless. Okay. But the, everybody says if they're if they've just had lunch, they just sit there and look at you. You could walk right up to them. I mean, don't. There might be cubs. The mother will kill you if you walk up because of the cubs, not because she's hungry. She doesn't know you just want to look. Okay. Because that's evil. We do it. We're the only ones that care. Okay. So in order to connect to Elokus in a level that's called Nevuah, we're going to have to get beyond that level. What's the source of that? Our Seichel. Humans have this thing called Seichel. And that's the source of all evil. Animals that don't have Seichel don't do I mean, the Seichel that we have don't do evil. Right? Only we do. So as amazing as Seichel is, it's also the source of all evil. Okay, so in order to tap into something that's completely godly, I have to get beyond that. That's Nevuah. So we throw off the garments. Okay. You know? Can you say what seichel means? Intellect. It's only... Seichel is intellect. What's the difference between seichel and uh, what we call chokhmah and dina? Those are aspects of seichel. Those are the pa- different powers of seichel. Okay. Mm-hmm. Seichel, the intellect is a, is a rather sophisticated reality. Okay, what are some of the parts of that? Well, there's something called chokhmah, there's something called dina, something called das. We're in the third chapter of Tanya, and that'll become clear what those are, what function, what they, how do they function, what's the, what's the difference between them. Third chapter of Tanya explains it very clearly. The Iker Achet, what's the Iker Achet? Is the sensitivity, the feeling that is a combination, mixed up. Tarevis, right? Tarevis is learning the laws of mixtures, milk and meat, truma, non-truma, etc. Betevara. Now, again, before they did the chait, how did they have this hergish? Okay, we're not going there. I mean, that's obviously an issue, but that's not our issue because that's not what we're, we're learning about. But the chait itself, what does it bring into being? The hergish of tevara. Uksi v'yedu kiarumi. They knew that they were that they were naked. 
meaning they knew, they were aware of themselves. It was nit from the word chadash. Became, I mean, not renewed. <laughs> you know, Hebrew can turn anything into a verb. It nude in them. You know, there was some novel reality. What was that? This experience of tevorah. Which means I'm experiencing something other than elokus. Once I experience something, when I, once I experience the possibility of raw, so I'm experiencing the possibility of there being a reality that's, so to speak, not elokus. Okay. Ubasharshe, in its root, source, who a hergish asechel vamidas. The feeling of my own seichel and my own midas. I think, I feel. Velochen, be'es in the vua, therefore at the time in the vua, Yitzarech Lies had to be Havshotas HaLevushim, a throwing off of the garments. Shuhu Inyan, and this is the idea of Havshotas HaHergesh HaSeichel HaMidas. To throw away, rid myself of my own seichel and my own midas, so then I'm a conduit for God's seichel. Vahainu, Lies Bebechines in a state of Bittel HaKechis Vachushim. Losing a sense of self. And so that's why the, the, the Nevi'im used to lay on the ground and shake because they, so to speak, lost control of self. But not lost control of self in a negative way. They went beyond self. Shehu inyan hafshotas... I'm sorry. Like the Rambam says, Right, Hilchus Yisraeli Torah is the first group of halachas in the first book of the Rambam. The Rambam's first book is Sefer Hamada. And, and the first group of halachas, there's five different groups of halachas in, in, in Sefer Hamada. The first is Hilchus Yisrael Yatara. The first thing you must know is there is a being who created everything. He's the source of everything and, and uh, he, he can exist without everything else but nothing can exist without him. Okay. That's the very beginning. From the 7th to the 10th chapter in Hilkos Yisraeli the Rambam discusses Nevuah. The end of Hilkos Yisraeli So at the very beginning of that discussion, in the 7th parak, the Rambam says, Mi Das, one of the foundations of the religion, Das without an ayin, right? Dati, say in Israel. Someone's Dati. They're religious. Leido, to know. Shakel Yizbarach Minabe B'nei Adam. This is interesting language. That God is Minabe. God causes Navua in people. Meaning, I can't reach Navua myself. God has to give me Navua because it's coming from beyond me. I can prepare myself for that. I mean, you, you and I, you know, don't. <laughs> but meaning, Navim prepared themselves for Navua. How did they prepare themselves for Navua, interestingly enough? Very interesting. Music, simcha. They reach states of tremendous simcha. What does simcha do? Simcha takes us out of ourselves. Become a kli to go out of ourselves. Right? The stingy guy will spend a lot of money on his daughter's wedding. Because he's besimcha. He'll go out of himself. Usually he's very stingy. He'll spend tremendous amounts of money on his daughter's wedding because he's in such a state of simcha. Oh, here, take another bottle of scotch. Check if it's kosher. First. <laughs> the blue stuff. The stuff with the blue line. The stuff with the blue line. 
Yeah, okay. No, you can check. You can check if it's kosher. My son-in-law in Manchester has a taste for the stuff every now and then, you know, to curry favor with the person who's in charge of taking care of my daughter, and I want to make sure he's a happy Jew. So uh, and I, I, I go on Amazon UK and buy him a really nice bottle of scotch and have it shipped to that. The, the, the prices are so low, it's beyond belief how cheap they are. So ship him a really good bottle of scotch. You're like, what are the really good ones? Right? But I always check up first. Just, I find one, you know, 21 pounds, something. I mean, it's not cheap, 100 shekels. So then, then, you know, you just go look up online, this name is Scotch, is it kosher? No, okay, find another one. Or usually, yes. I send it off, and three days later, I get a phone call. Schwer! <laughs> How you doing? Fine. Nice bottle, thank you very much. That's very sweet, no problem. Taking care of my daughter, right? Like you have to make sure everything's okay. <laughs> you don't have to send it to your daughters. They're okay. You don't have to send it to your daughters-in-law. They're also normal. And your wife can take care of them. But uh, <laughs> sons-in-law, it's always good to curry their favor. <laughs> who knows? They also might make it rich, and then they'll take care of you. I mean, who knows? You never know. <laughs> but, uh, but I think it's more important that they're happy and they're taking care of your daughter. Right? So it says a Kaddish Baruch is minna which is really an interesting language, right? A Kaddish Baruch who causes it to happen. I can get myself, not, you know, I, obviously I'm not talking about I, right? I can get myself to a certain place where I might be someone who is fit for that. But if the Abishta decides that's not happening, then it's not happening. Right? All sorts of very holy people in, uh, for, for a very long time in the history of the Jewish people. But the Kaddish Baruch took Nevuah away from the Jewish people. Who was the last Navi? Esther. So Esther was the last Naviya. Last Navi. She was a Naviya, but Esther. Mm-hmm. Okay. Really amazing Chazal. It says, just like dawn is the end of the night, Esther is the end of the time of Nevuah. You would think it would be exactly the opposite, right? That it would be sunset, the end of the light. No. Amazing chazal. Anyway, you can think about that one. Amazing chazal. Just like dawn is the end of the night, Esther is the end of Nevoah. Why is Nevoah night? I think Nevoah is day, right? And then after that is night. That's not what chazal said. Think about that one. It's such an amazing chazal. Right? So, the Ram says that the Kaddish Baruch is min nabeh, I mean, there's such a thing called nevuah. Va nevuah chalan, the nevuah falls, on whom? Al chochem v'gibor. Someone obviously who's very wise, has a very deep and sophisticated intellectual appreciation of elokus. V'gibor is also a gibor. What does that mean? He works out in the gym? He has big abs? No. Hamizgaber al Yitzra. A gibor is someone who can overcome his Yitzra. He's strong. Ve'ein Yitzra Mizgaber la Bashum Dover. And his Yitzra doesn't overcome him in anything. Meaning a Benoni. Love Dafka Tzadik, right? A Benoni. Ukemavur Sham Baruch as is explained there at great length. The Rambam explains it. It's very, it's fascinating. You should learn the Rambam. It's amazing. 
Therefore, this is called shtus. Why is it shtus? Because this is a level beyond intellectual understanding, v'hasaga, and comprehension. And since they avoided the Mishkan and the Mikdash, who is to transform darkness to light, the darkness itself should illuminate, the darkness itself should be a source of light, physicality should be a means of revelation. Well, that's exactly what the Mikdash is. From the Shtus of the other side, that which might be seen as something negative, you ultimately transform it into Shtus to Kedusha. Now we answer the question that we asked at the beginning of the third chapter. That's why the Mishkan is made from Atzei Shittim. Yes, Beseder, it's this wood called Shittim, but we know that that wood might taka be cedar. So why is it called Atzei Shittim? Just call it Atzei Eres, because that's what it was. So most people understand based on the Medrash, right? Yes, we knew, we talked about it. It's translated as a Casey wood, but, but based on the Medrash, we know it was cedar. Hmm? And there's also a psukim they talk about it in, in Nach. Okay. So, so why is it called Atzei Shittim? Oh, because how do you build a Mishkan? Shtus. How do, you, how do you build a Mishkan in your own conscious reality? Shtus. Shtus to Kedush. You have to get to a level beyond intellect. You have to be able to appreciate a reality beyond intellect or else, or else God's limited. God's this little tiny God that, 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 that is made in my image because I, I, I create a God that my intellect can understand. But God's bigger than that. So much bigger that it's beyond comprehension. How much bigger? Okay. And especially, I want to, I, I, you want to touch Mamale. Okay. Mamale is understood. Seivev. Seivev is that level of intellect that can appreciate the fact that there's beyond intellect. But that's still intellect. And then there's Atmos, a level that's so far beyond intellect that intellect has no place there. It just, just is. Okay, you want to touch that? Well, I have to get out. I have to get out of my own boxes. Remember what the Tzemach Sedek say about the stories of the Baal Shem Tov? Someone who believes all the stories of the Baal Shem Tov is an idiot. Right? Why? Well, there happen to be some stories that contradict other stories. Meaning, the Baal Shem Tov was in two places at once, etc. So you have to be an idiot to believe all of them. Right? To think that they couldn't have happened, then you're a kaifer. You're a kaifer. You're a non-believer. You don't believe in God. Did they all happen? Probably not. I'm sure some stories, you know, some, what do they call apocryphal, apocryphal stories slipped in there. Right? Okay. That probably happened. It's 300 years. Hasidim sitting and telling stories half the time under the influence of a lot of mashka. I mean, who knows what happened? Right? I won't say who it is, but they tell a story about a famous Lubavitch speaker who said that he once asked the Rebbe, am I allowed to make up stories in order to be of people, to Yiddishkeit? You can make up a story that'll, you know, really kind, and then they'll come closer to Yiddishkeit. And the Rebbe said yes. And that's the first story he made up. <laughs> that he asked the Rebbe, and the Rebbe said yes. That was the first story. That's what they say, right? Okay. So stories, you know, embellishments. I mean, I, I just, it's so funny. I just read a story 
about a person that I heard the story from a person who knows the person the story is about. And I read a story in, in what's called Living Jewish, you know, the, the English thing that comes out from the old city, read the story, and it had the name of the person who he heard the story from and who that person heard the story from. I know both those people. I'm very surprised that they got the story so wrong because they told the story. The, the basic story was about a guy who went into the Rebbe and the Rebbe showed him a letter from his mother. That's true. All the particulars were completely off. Not true at all. They printed it. And it's so interesting. The person who told the story, I guess maybe he wrote the story. He said, I, maybe he must have written it. And he says, and I heard this from... I know those people, especially the one you heard it from. I'm very surprised he got the story so wrong. They, in the story, the guy's name is Joe. He's not from blah, blah, blah. The real story, the guy's name is Fiver Shapiro. He was a chassid from Antwerp. Mm-hmm. That we, we, we know who the person is and what happened and how it all worked. It's an unbelievable story. We, we, we want to go see the Rebbe. We're not going to finish today anyway, so I'll tell you the story and we'll finish the Mimer on Sunday. And we'll have a day where you guys can do it. You and the Mimer and we'll start something new. The, the, his name is Fiver Shapiro. He was a chassid from Antwerp. But he's in New York. And he might have been living in New York by that time, but he grew up in Antwerp. And, uh, and he, he, wanted, he wanted to say Shalom Aleichem to the Rebbe. Not, you don't say Shalom Aleichem. Meaning, you know, shake the Rebbe's hand and say, you know, no one does that. So he decided he's going to go to 770. He was Purim. He heard that the Rebbe forbrings late in the afternoon on Purim into the night. And then he figured... So he, you know, he finished his Purim Suda and he went over to 770. Purim, you know, it's so funny. People think Lubavitchers are wild and drink a lot. Purim by the Rebbe, no one drank very much. I mean, people would drink at their Suda, but the Rebbe used to forbring after the Suda. So everybody wanted to be in shape. They could go to the forbring, but like, no one, you know, no one passed. I mean, of course people did, but I mean, people weren't passing out at their Suda, right? They, you know, they, they wanted to get to the Rebbe's forbring after the Suda. So, so, uh, so 770 was this relatively tame place on Purim, which you think is completely ridiculous of all places, you know, the Crown Heights. So anyway, so, so he, he, he waited in the back of 770. If you guys have a vision of 770, and the Rebbe's for bringing, so the Rebbe's in, in, in you know, this is the front of 770. That's where the Iron Kedush is, and that's where the Rebbe dies, okay? Where the Rebbe for brings is along the right side, right? Okay, what's that? If we're facing east... So the right side is north. On the northern wall of, seven, of, of, of 770 is, the, is, the, is a bima, and the Rebbe is the table, and the Rebbe for bring facing everybody here. So everybody looking at the Rebbe, the iron, the front of 770 was on their left. So, so the Rebbe would walk out along the bima, down the stairs, and then along past the bleachers, and out the door at the back corner of 770, up the stairs, or up the elevator, depending. So, so, uh, so he waited in the back, and he was going to shake the Rebbe's hand. So he stood there, and he sort of pushed himself right in front of the Rebbe, and he put out his hand. One of the secretaries moved his hand away, because you don't do that, and, and the Rebbe took his hand, held his hand, walked up the stairs with him, and walked with him into the Rebbe's office. And the, 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 the Maskir were shocked. Took him into the Rebbe's office, the Rebbe even got him a chair. I don't know whether he sat down. I think he even sat down. But he didn't sit in front of the Rebbe, but I think he sat down. The Rebbe got him a chair and he sat him down. The Rebbe then went around the desk, sat down at the desk, opened the drawer, and took out a letter. And he handed him the letter. And the letter was from a mother 
clearly a Pele Shechassid, who, mother of 12 children, who'd been diagnosed with Yenamachla, uh, that dreaded disease. And uh, basically, the doctor said it's over. So she wrote the Rebbe and asked the Rebbe for a bracha that her children should grow up to be chassidishim. So she wrote him the letter. And the Rebbe showed him the letter. The Rebbe took out the letter and gave it to him. And evidently, the Rebbe stood behind him as he wrote the letter. He started reading the letter and he burst out crying. It was his mother. He was the 12th of those 12 children. His mother's letter to the Rebbe when he was a little, he was an infant. And now, how the Rebbe knew this was him, who knows? But that's because the Rebbe is the Rebbe. We don't know these things. Right? And, and, uh, and the Rebbe, he asked for the letter. And the Rebbe said, No. So he asked the Rebbe, he said, Rebbe, it's my mother's letter. Could I have the letter? It's very special to me. And the Rebbe said, No. He asked the Rebbe, Why not? Rabbi said, before I go to Kol Nidra every year, I read this letter. A parent asking that the children should be the way they should be. This is what I read every year before I go to Kol Nidra. Now, this is interesting. After, I don't know whether this is what happened, but after Birchus Abadim, after the Rebbe used to give a bracha to the Tamimi, instead of going straight down to 770, the Rebbe used to go in his office for a minute. And then the Rebbe would go downstairs. Who knows if it wasn't to read this letter? I mean, I, we don't know. I don't know what the Rebbe did in the office for a minute or two, but the Rebbe used to go first into his office and then downstairs at the sunset, instead of just straight downstairs. Everybody else would just flood downstairs. The Rebbe wouldn't. The Rebbe would first go to the office, then come. Who knows if it wasn't to read this letter? That's the real story. And that's the story that people have heard from him, from Fiber Shapiro. He's, I, I think he's still alive. I mean, he's around. <laughs> so they made up this crazy story about Joe, and he's not from, and it's his mother's letter, and, and he got from because of the letter. It's not, the whole story's not true. I mean, it's true, but not true, right? Okay. How did that happen? And someone printed it. What? Don't know. So that, that could, that, this is a story that happened in, you know, in color, in 770, right? The stories of the Baal Shem Tov were all black and white. It was before there was color in the world, right? I mean, who knows? Those stories, they, who knows? Something could, in 300 years, nothing could sneak into those stories. Of course it could. So the, so the Tzemach Seder said, anybody who believes all of it, you're an idiot. But if you don't think it could have happened, I mean, if your seichel is so limited and won't let you appreciate the fact that something completely beyond your understanding, that doesn't make any sense, could happen, then you're okay for you. Okay. We'll finish that story. Forwarded that story.